On this episode of the Sluggo Tool podcast, my guest is Professor Dominic Bryan from Queen's University. Dominic is a member of the University Union Action Committee and they are planning a strike action which is this starts this first day is that correct it's going to be on thursday and friday what's that the 24th and the 25th mm. and then another one on the 30th we've just learned that unite union so we're university colleges union unite union are also coming out mm. at queen's on the same day on the 30th so there's some for the first time for some time joint union action on these issues Okay. Now, from memory, is this the third strike in the past few years or is there more? Do you know what? It's that bad that I'm beginning to run out of memory myself on this. I think it's the fourth. We've certainly been on industrial action over pay and pensions and insecure working. I think this is the fourth time. It certainly amounts to, over the last five years, probably six, six weeks or so of industrial action that we've taken over the last five years. It's, it really has been an ongoing chronic problem, which gets the heart of some deep problems in the higher education model at the moment. Now, I, I suppose I'm tempted to say what would be different about district <laughs> number five or six? Is there anything? Do you know what? There, there, is, there is something different. The first thing to say is that industrial action in the past has achieved some things, particularly around the issue of pensions. But this industrial action is different for various legal reasons in England. Before, when we balloted members, we have to get in England 50% of everybody in each institution. So actually, only about 44 or 45 of the institutions of, I think it's 147, it's something like that in the UK, have come out before. But the union took a brave decision and decided to go for 50% of the, the membership across the UK. And they've got a fantastic turnout. So this time, all 100, I think it's 147 institutions are coming out on strike. And certainly in Northern Ireland, UU and Queen's got a much bigger turnout than we've got before. So there is always that issue of what is the strike achieving? And anybody should know that we, when we're in unions, we think about it all the time. Nobody wants to treat a strike lightly. We've got lots of members who are poorly paid as it is. So losing pay through strike is the last thing you want to do, really. But it is going to be different this time. We have much larger numbers of membership coming out, both in our institutions and across the UK. Okay. Now, if you take if you go through some of the issues, so first one, pensions. I spent an hour last night going through the <laughs> USS website, which was an enjoyable experience. Now, the bottom line seems to be that you have to pay more into the pension and you're getting less out during yeah. retirement. Is that more or less it? Yeah, that is more or less it. But there's a very... Mm complicated background to this. And I think probably whatever industry you're in, mm. understanding your pensions is a tricky thing. But broadly speaking, they have to make judgments at how much risk is involved in the pension. And they made a judgment during the middle of the pandemic around how our pensions worked. And they decided that looking into the future, we were in massive debt. And that valuation was disputed more than just by the union, by a lot of people. Because it was at a low point in the stock market, we disputed that valuation. And indeed, more recent valuations by our pensions provider seems to suggest that the pension isn't nearly in the debt that it was supposed to be. In fact, it may not be in debt at all. Now, 
What is interesting about this is, and this comes from the from our pension provider has explained all of this, is that at the heart of the problem is the way that the university system has been run. So there are institutions within the UK who are deemed at risk. There are universities at risk. They have all, lots of universities have borrowed money from more private borrowing schemes to build and from other institutions to build new buildings because it's so much more competitive. When they sign these loan schemes, I know this all sounds complicated, but bear with me. When they sign these loan schemes, the borrower, the people they're borrowing from the money ask that they get paid. If a university goes bust, they get paid first, all right? Which technically means the pension scheme comes further down the line. That means the pension scheme is at risk. So the tack on the pension is partly because of the way the university system has now run and the competition between universities, because they're now in a marketplace effectively, mm. to build new buildings and to get students in. So actually, although the pension, the, the attack on our pension looks like it's a different sort of issue, it's actually part of the wider issue of how the university system in the UK has been running for the last couple of decades. That's an interesting point about universities being in trouble. But I would have thought your pension money within the USS scheme, is that not ring-fenced away from the institution? So even if a university it, does go for a bit of Oh, yes, it is, it is ring-fenced. And this is what makes it so complicated, because it's not... At one level, from those of us, it's not about what Queen's University decided to do. And in defence of management, which is not something a union member always says, this is a much bigger structural problem which the management at Queen's have to deal with. There is ring-fenced money, but the, it's, a, it's not a public, it's a private pension scheme, USS. It's one of the biggest in the country of, it, of its nature. But they have to make risk assessments over it. And that risk assessment okay. involves how much they will pay out in the future, how much we're paying in, and how much our employers are paying in. And the risk evaluators, or the ones they originally got in, made an evaluation which said that we have to pay out less and you have to pay in more. And that was at the got heart it. of the dispute. But as I think was pointing out, it, the risk is partly based to whether one of the employers around the UK would collapse. So you've still got to ensure that everybody gets paid out of, of those sort of things. Now, this is way beyond, this is not my area at all, but my understanding is that discussion of the level of risk involved has been at the heart of it. And the union has heavily disputed this. The heart, reason we're angry is because none of this has anything to do with the staff. It's not that we haven't been paying in. It's not that we haven't been doing our jobs. None of this at heart is anything to do with the staff at universities. It's the way yeah, that the university yeah. system has been run, which is the problem. Okay. Now, one last question on the pensions, because I was looking on the website of the USS, the pension scheme, and on the board, there seems to be several union appointed yes. members. Okay. So I'm a bit confused then, because can they not, if they're on the board, can they not you know, have a, like a, a say in a lot of these matters and a vote to, my, to make these kind of changes? Yes, you're absolutely right. So there's both representatives from the employers and from the union sit on it and there's a casting vote by a chairperson over it mm -hmm. and that the dispute some of this dispute is in the courts 
as it stands as to how that has taken place. So the union has disputed decisions which have been voted on with the chair making a casting vote. And okay. all of this, again, is in a, is in a, is in much part of a bigger problem of how pensions work and the attempt to move us on to a different sort of pension scheme which the pension providers claim is less risky but that has been highly disputed uh, by the union what members know is that the outcome for them can often mean a near 30 percent cut in their pensions and i mean that for lots of people feels like a long way away but to know that future life, you're going to get 30% less for paying in than you're getting is a massive amount. It's a deferred payment um, for us. And it's a massive amount to, to start. For many staff now, it means that they would effectively be tens of thousands of pounds worse off in the future. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, it is. Kind of ties into this issue of people living longer, really. The pension age probably going up because really you're not necessarily forced out at 65 acquaintance a lot of people you can kind of go professor yes. emeritus can't you? you can kind of hang around and do what you like to do so i suppose that the whole kind of concept of retirement is probably a subject for a podcast also, own, right? but, yeah i also think <laughs> yeah. it's important to remember that there are very lots of different sorts of employees at a university and for some yeah, of us so, i'm now up at a professor level that's after fairness to me 30 years of working within a university but you've got all sorts of people at a lot a lot of different sorts of levels so people when they look at a university often see or even on the media see senior academics or academics but people have to remember that universities like all big institutions you don't judge a health service mm -hmm. by what your surgeons are getting all right yeah. that so it's important to remember that in a university you've got a, you've got a large amount of people some of who are quite low down the pay scale got it yeah so this brings us on to our next question off of the salary increase because essentially i think the union is after fixed inflation plus two or three percent that's right plus two percent yeah. um yeah okay it seems reasonable enough now but as you say i think there always is this kind of like PR communication issue because people automatically think of yourself yeah. and my lovely wife who are earning decent salaries <laughs> in Queens as, as professors. But as you say, I mean, there's a lot of, especially younger people, this kind yes. of casualization, isn't it? And I can, how did that come about? Is it just over time universities kind of realize this kind of looking kind of flexibility to kind of hire people and more importantly get rid of people and that leads to these zero hours contracts and yearly contracts? Is that linking, you're, you're linking things together very well. So let's go back and think about the method that the universities had to fund themselves. When they decided to go to a funding model which involves students bringing in fees with loans it also became a competitive model whereby all of the universities are competing to get students. And the idea, of course, with all this competitive stuff is this would lead to better, better university system in some ways. But there is a fundamental problem in it. About 60% of a university's cost is staff. So, so Queen's University, about 60% of it outgoing is staff. And if you're not getting in enough money through the students and through research all right really the only saving you can ever make the or the biggest saving you can make is staff and you can do that in a number of ways you can keep cutting their pay each year which they have done since 2010 
10. By the way, the economic crash is also a tale to tell, which I can come to. And I think a lot of other public servants, public staff around the country are suffering from exactly the same problem. So you can reduce the amount of pay over time, or you do the flexible working, the zero hour contracts, whereby depending on what people come in, you can then get rid of very quickly. I think up to sometimes 40% of our staff are on short-term contracts. We also work with TAs, that's PhDs, on who often have a very short of money, and we're giving them zero-hour contracts. Effectively, we are paying them, given the amount of work they do, often below the minimum wage. Now, Queen's, I believe, okay. signed up to try and change that. But so if you join that, pressure on pay and flexible working. It's the way the universities have tried to make themselves more agile in the competitive world that they live in. Now, the difficulty is you have some universities who are not well off and are going to, when the universities meet to decide things and saying, we can't afford anything. As we all know, there are some universities in the UK who are stinking rich. Mm -hmm. Cambridge and Oxford and some of those are massive landowners and can afford to do it. And however, the university system being run as a competitive model means that the pressure on pay has been downwards all the time. And Queens have been a part of that. So they constantly come, constantly come to us and say, we need more students in, we need more research money in, we need to achieve that. And they're so worried about what this pay structure will be that they cut our pay every year. And that you can get away with it for one or two years or three years or maybe five years when inflation is running at one and two percent. But when it becomes to 12 and 13 years, and we are now 25% lower in pay than we were in 2010, you've got a massive problem. And they haven't solved that problem. So they, the, the, we will get our pay cut the next year and the year after and the year after that, the way things have been going. Got it. So just for just to let people know, TA are teaching assistants, which is the first rung on the that's, academic career ladder. Yeah, sorry, isn't it? Yeah. The, the lingo. So, yeah, yeah, that's a teaching assistant. It's important for yeah. people to understand that if you these days, I was lucky enough to come out of an era when they actually paid me to go to university. All right. These yeah, days, that, yeah. students are getting loans. When they become PhD students, they're usually going further into debt. So when they get mm -hmm to become, if they get a job as a university lecturer, they're in their late 20s, often early 30s, they've got loads of debt and the amount they're being paid is going lower and lower. So they have put an awful lot in of their lives into this and the pay that they're getting at that bottom run is going down and down. So it's very important that people realize the sort of pressures that particularly younger members of staff are being put under. Got it. Now, does Queen's have the ability to set pay rates independently for its staff or does it have to? Is it at a UK wide level? You have to go negotiate pay bans? No, it's UK wide. We have and the union, the union is very clear it needs to retain this is collective bargaining. All right. So that we don't want we do not want to increase the competitive nature of all of our institutions by having different pay rates in different universities for us. That is not the way. And we, as a union, want to protect the, the, the job security of our staff across all of the universities. All right. So we are not, 
willing to break out of that system? The answer is, and it's a complicated one, but the answer is the vice chancellors have to come up with a better way of the university system funding along with government. They have to try and solve this problem. And up until now, to be honest with you, a lot of them who are paid very big bucks compared to even those of us that are quite highly paid, these people get four and five times more than we do. They've just avoided the problem for years and years. But yes, so it is a collective problem. So the vice chancellor of Queen's or University of Ulster cannot solve this problem on their own. They're absolutely right there. Our question is, how much have they done to solve it with the other vice chancellors? And I think our conclusion is not nearly enough. And so just to clarify then, on the pay front, if it is collective, of universities' income, well, how does it break down? So obviously you have student fees, then you have uh, research money, and then is there government money as well? Is that There's government money that gets put through to staff, um, staff members. So there's an amount of public funding that comes the way of the university. But they, back in uh, when I started, uh, government funding would have funded everything in a university. But to create a market situation to make it more competitive, what the government says is we'll send some of the money depending on the number of students you get and other money depending on the amount of research you get. So it's now very competitive to get research grants and staff have to work very hard to try and win research money. So that's part of the marketplace. So yes, the money comes through from a series of, uh, and it's even more complicated than that because of course in, in Ireland, we charge students about six grand to, to come to the university. In, the U, in, in England, it's nine grand. In Scotland, they don't charge students at all. If we can get international students in, we charge them even bigger fees to come to the university. So there's a real competitive marketplace around this. And that's why you'll hear universities, universities talking about getting students in from Asia and the United States or things like that. And it's, yeah. universities are big economic drivers for economies. Okay. So I saying I can see there's probably a lot of kind of internal dissent amongst staff with this kind of collective kind of arrangement because it's I mean it's a silly comparison but it's almost like you're saying every football team in the UK you have to pay the players the same fees and I'm sure you get a lot of researchers or academics maybe with very high opinions themselves think I'm worth <laughs> X amount or you end up with the, the American system with these kind of superstar academics. Yes. Is that part of it? Because I know there was, was, was one of the Cambridge colleges left the, the kind of pension scheme. So is that part of the issue the unions having? Where does this kind of, a lot of people are saying, that, let's just break it up. That's a tension in the system, yeah. it's undoubtedly. And one of the arguments people will make is that we can go further down the competition line. And you're exactly right. The US model mm. is one that you could look at. All right. However, I think the union's position, and certainly for members of staff, we would take a different position. We would say education is a common good for everybody. All right. The more people we can have going through education, the better. And our universities are drivers for the economy in all of the areas that we exist. Let me just give you one quick example. I'm in a, I'm in a discipline which people would see as rather marginal, although I love it and I would explain to everybody how it should be, why it should be taught at school. I'm an anthropologist, all right? And we got the European Association of Anthropology to hold a conference at Queen's. It took an awful lot of work to get it there. My colleagues were fantastic at organizing it. We had about 900 people from Europe for a week 
in Belfast. The city council were fantastic helping us and they reckoned that we bought in about 1.5 million pounds mm -hmm. of business into the city. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's just a relatively small conference. Yeah. Okay. So universities are producing a common wealth and a common education and therefore we would argue that turning them into some internal competitive market is not the way forward that we need to fund publicly fund universities as a common good and that we would be far i think far prefer to look at the french and german models and the scandinavian models for how university works than we would the us model Okay, my next question is, it seems to me the quickest way to get everyone a pay rise is Irish reunification. <laughs> it's, like, it's spectacularly well paid in the, in the South compared to the North. I know obviously it's, we're still probably maybe, I don't know, whatever it is, 10 years out from a border poll, but we probably have to factor in a situation where in 15 years time we could have Irish reunification and then I assume the Queens would be in the Irish system. Are you envious of your kind of colleagues in the South and with their kind of pay and setup or how does the Irish system compare to what we have in the UK? I've got a number of feelings about that. I think the first one, I'm not envious because I love being at Queen's University Belfast. It's a great place to work and I work with great people and I, and I personally I never go well, the Queens will still be there in any yes Ireland, yeah but but I'm not not overly I'm not I don't look at other people's pay rates and I'm that envious I just want what I think is a fair set of pay rates I also would have to say that sometimes when you factor in I think this is correct and I haven't done deep research but I've done a little bit on it for instance, the pension outcomes in the Republic of Ireland would not be as good, even with our cut as our now. The amount of money that gets put into the pension by the government is not as good. The difference is not quite as big as it appears just in the in the top line, in the top line salary. And also you've then got to look at some of the security of rates lower down of the position people employed. So I do think a lot of us look and see the pay down in the Republic as being as sometimes being better. But I think the difference, the gap is not as large as it apparent. It seems apparent when you're looking at it. OK, the grass is always greener. <laughs> that tends to be true. You've also got to look at things like workloads, the ability to get to to research money. And there's lots that the Irish state is, I think, doing very well. I'm not saying here as a critic of it. I just think the comparisons are a little bit more complicated than they might seem at face value. Okay. Now, just to move on to the bigger picture, because I was strolling around the lovely new Students' Union building at Queen's on Saturday there. Spent 30 million and it's gorgeous. Yeah. And I was thinking back to when I was at Queen's in the kind of mid-90s. Now, when did you come to Queen's or when did you? No, I was 99, September 99. Okay, and then, but obviously you were university before. I was at University of Ulster as an undergraduate in the mid-80s and then as a PhD student from 91. So I've done... I played for both teams in Northern Ireland. <laughs> You've served your time. I have. But I was thinking that because all I hear from a lot of university staff, right, also is the kind of pressure, the workload, mm -hmm. the, this constant drive to get in research, yeah. money, more students, all the things you've hinted at. And then on the student side, we're seeing at least 
25% more mental health issues. Now, I know a lot of that is to do with broader society, social media, yeah. bullying the whole nine yards. But you wonder, this big picture of when you step back and look at this kind of marketization of education, are we any better off than where we were back in your day and my day in the 80s and 90s? Where when I was at Queen's, all right, it was a very basic facilities. It looked pretty. Remember the old library block and the union building was pretty bleak, but it was relaxed yeah. and people had time. You could go to the union bar, you could have a pint with people. It was a lot more, it seemed to be a lot less stress. Now, I'm sure it wasn't perfect, being like rose tinted glasses, but you can wonder now where we have the system where everyone seems to be under so much pressure. Are we actually better off? And even this issue of so many people going to university, is that necessarily a good thing versus just going out and get a job or going to technical schools? Because all this seems to have happened is you just kind of get this great inflation where yeah. even the most entry-level job now requires almost like a master's. And you're kind of going, what, are we any better off in all this? I've always been very keen that universities are able to give access to people all across society. So there's no way that I would want us to go back to a more elitist version of the university that we had before. I believe that all sorts of employment practices, such as nursing as an obvious one, where I think that nurses getting trained in hospitals, but also getting a university degree is a good thing and learning about the broader sense of how health works in our society. And both Queen's and University of Ulster particularly have been great over the years over access. I think during our, I think during the peace process, actually, if you look in the 80s and 90s, the way University of Ulster was getting through people through open access, and you looked at the figures and the amount of people from working class backgrounds who were coming through those universities was higher than many other universities in the UK. I wouldn't like to see that stop at all i believe in the potential of nearly all the people in our society to get a to, to get a degree now does that mean that getting a degree should be a be all and end all absolutely not we need people getting apprenticeships we need people doing all of that sort of different sorts of training i don't think the university is a be all and end all i don't think the university degree means you are actually smarter than anybody else it's a particular way of gaining knowledge that I think should be open. So I wouldn't want to close it down. I think having high numbers getting to university is a good thing. So I think an open education system like that is really what we want to what we want to aim at. I also think that there are deep issues of equality that we need to tackle in our society and universities need to be a part of that. All right. I, if we have an agenda of wanting to give opportunity to people, the, the job for that is not only lying with the university, it lies with the school system, which on recent research is not providing people with an equal education. So I'm still a great believer in, 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 in an open access to universities. And I think University of Ulster and Queen's have got a lot. And the Open University has a campus in Belfast has done a great has done great work over that. How do we, as you are you think we should look towards like the German model where they made the day of the lecture theatres rammed, <laughs> got a sausage factory of students? Is that the kind of uh, would you be interested in having more students even at Queen's and U? And then the second part is because I know there's a cap on university yes. places. How do we get? Should that be lifted? And how do we get it lifted? Mm. The, the, here's a, there's a complex mm. dynamic, and I'm not going to 
pretend to you that I understand exactly how I work, but uh, 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 how it works. But we have what's called the Mazen Cap in, in in Northern Ireland because the budget for our two uni- the two universities is handed over to the Northern Ireland government, there's a question mark, to hand over. They understandably, because they want to control the budget, only allow a certain amount of students into Queen's or UU, because if we took in lots of people, it would cost Northern Ireland government government much more. And, And this is, I suppose, the issue with having a marketplace, but as ever, a marketplace where you've got controls on it. And I know that at the moment, Queen's University is quite keen, the management are quite keen on that Mazen cap being lifted or increased for both UU, UU and Queen's. I'm not sure that really solves a problem because what we need is resources in staffing. So the minute you bring in more students, if you want to keep the quality of the education for students right, you've got to employ more staff. I mean, that. And part of the problems, which you mentioned earlier, part of the problems is the workload in universities is incredible at the moment. And I know lots of people out there probably have an image of what we do as sitting in these offices and reading books and teaching and wandering in. And I have to tell you, a modern university is nothing like that whatsoever. We are under pressure to get in research grants. We are under pressure teaching. We provide many more services than ever we used to. And we often do so with less staff. We've had staff cuts over the years. And that workload, the, uh, the university worked out, the union worked out recently that the large number of university workers are working over 50 hours a week. So they're effectively almost doing two, two, two a day to two days more than that you would normally expect it to do in workload. So people must really, un- and eventually you reach a breaking point and eventually students will notice it. If you give me a class of 10 or 12 MA students or a class of 30 or 40 MA students, what I can deliver to 12 is very different to 30 or 40. By the end of the course, I won't know all of their names. So there's a real issue about the quality of education if you cannot control the workload that staff are working under. So uh, there's nothing to stop Queen's hiring more staff. Is there in this bigger picture of things, is there? There isn't. They they worry, you have to talk to them about the conservative way that they run our budget. Queen's has had a surplus on any number of years. Even during the pandemic, we ended up with a surplus at Queen's. Queen's has quite a lot of money in the background, and it's been a complaint of staff for many years that every year we're sitting in our with our school management group and our head of school will tell us all the they're very worried about the future and we're going to have to cut back here and we're going to have to cut back there and we can't get new staff here and we can't get new staff there and so we we can't employ people when other people have left and lo and behold at the end of that year there's another surplus at queens a, a lot of us have found that very difficult to deal with over the years. And I've been there a long time now and I've seen that happen time and time again. I don't know whether it's because we have people running finance who are particularly conservative with the small C. They have a difficult job. It's a big institution. It's a complex financial institution. But I can tell you the people working that institution have worked, have had to work harder and harder in recent years. Yeah, because again, from my outsider perspective is 
uh, my politics tend to be like extreme pragmatism and whenever i see strikes although i completely agree with your objectives and aims it all just seems a bit 1970s to me and it's unimaginable to me that you have this kind of such an adversarial approach yeah. you know, between the management and staff and is it is there no because obviously a lot of the senior staff are from an academic background the vice yeah. chancellor is an expert so why does it need to be this adversarial is there no is there no representation within the kind of management for more of these kind of staff you get some kind of consensus going yeah there's discussions ongoing all the time i don't none of us in the union sit there disliking our managers really and our vice chancellor they have difficult jobs to do we might sometimes raise an eyebrow at the amount of pay and perks they get for what we're getting, not saying that doesn't go unnoticed. But we know that they have a difficult job to do. They have a complicated institution with a load, loads of different roles that the institution has to pay that play that's very important. And we do talk to them. However, we've got to find some way of changing the course that we have been going down in the last 10 years. And we don't think that our senior managers have been have been doing a good enough job at highlighting. Even if our vice chancellors came out and said, look, there's a problem. See, part of it is that the modern university markets itself. It has to look fantastic. We have to say that UK universities are the best in the world, that Queen's University is number one in this league and number three in this league and number five in this league. And come to Queen's University, you get fantastic people. Now, some of that is true. What they obviously don't want to tell you is that there are some really underlying problems both in the higher education system in the UK and amongst staff at the university. So once you're doing a sales pitch, it's very hard to come out and publicly say, look, we have a deep problem here, all right, and we don't know how to solve it. All right. So I know that they're doing a trick. I will talk to we in the union will keep talking to them. But since they have not managed to solve this problem, we're left with no choice. I'm gutted that I'm going out on strike again. We have a bit of fun on the picket line and nice to stand around and chat to our colleagues and meet people in the university we haven't met before. But this is ridiculous and it's terrible for the students. It's terrible for the students. They really deserve yeah. better than this. But our management have not been able to solve the fundamental problem in the system. Got it. Yeah, it just seems to be, just from the other side, it seems to be a little unfair because of this collective kind of bargaining. Then, because as, as you say, it's not a Queen's issue, it's not a UU issue, it's a whole kind of UK-wide issue. It does seem a, it's a little unfair if the management of Queen's UU because their hands are tied because they're sort of globally. Now, would it be a... Is it is because the only real lever that I can see that the Queens and you you can pull is to hire more staff, which mm. in turn would obviously reduce your workload and make your life a lot better. Is that something that you can push for locally to say, look, you've made X amount of money last year. We need more staff, and we need them on proper contracts and none of this bullshit with the zero hours. Can you not be kind of zero in on that lever? Absolutely, and the university is has promised us that it's going down some of those routes and that it's going to you, you it's going to improve it's going to reduce the number of people on temporary contracts and it's going to give out more permanent contracts and it's going to give certain job security the, neither you or queen's university are terrible employers who have people who are not 
who are not trying in some way to mitigate the problem. We also have inequalities of pay around gender and race that need to be that need to disability that need to be sorted out as well. So there are things that can be sorted out locally and then and they're not unsympathetic to it, but we can't whilst we've got these fundamental deep underlying problems, all right? It's very difficult to know the goodwill of staff. You can't maintain the goodwill of staff. Many of us turn up and do jobs on things on Saturdays and Sundays with students. We do long evenings. We work all sorts of things that we're doing out of hours, all right, that involves goodwill. And we give it because we do a job we love. We, people love teaching. We love doing research. We do it willingly. But that goodwill just fritters away if you're on this almost nosediving core of reduction in pay and pensions. So so management, they can do things locally. It would be really interesting to know how both vice chancellors have voted on all of these issues when they go into London, but they don't tell us that. All right. If we oh, knew okay, they were going to London and not voting to have us have a pay cut, then I tell you what, we'd feel a little bit different about what we do in 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 on our campuses up in in Coleraine and Derry, London, Derry, and Belfast. Yeah, because because uh, Queens is always oversubscribed, and I think Ulster is pretty subscribed as well. So I mean, and you have to me like it seems you can kind of anticipate how many students places yep. you have. It should be easy enough to kind of anticipate your kind of revenues. So hiring the extra staff isn't doesn't seem to be a, a huge risk from my perspective but maybe they'll see it differently but to, it just seems to be that doing something to kind of reduce the workload of existing staff is the most obvious lever that the queens and ulster can pull i think i think that's exactly yeah. right i think that yeah. locally that's what they could do very yeah. and change the workload of their staff and i think it would make us all work more e efficiently we the environment the staff work in is the environment the students learn in. And I'll give, you, I'll give you, one of the criticisms of anthropology a few years ago was that we have, because we don't get absolutely tons of anthropology students in, we our staff student level was quite low. So we had fewer numbers of students than we did. And one of my colleagues pointed out that might be why when they do a thing called the National Student Survey, the NSS, anthropology twice recently has got a hundred percent approval from its students and i suspect that's because by the end of the courses we know their names they get personal relationships they know us we know them and that yeah. improves their experience in the university so the environment in which you give your teaching to take place makes a difference clearly to how the students get on and at the moment at the moment there is a problem within the university around that. And you're right, increasing staff levels in a in, in number of areas would make a big difference. Got it, okay. I think anything else before, I know you have to head Dominic, so is there anything else you want to highlight for the strike or is I think we've covered quite a bit of ground there? No, no and I'll tell you what, it's <laughs> nice, It I appreciate being able to talk at length and I hope I do so in a balanced way because I don't want to make out that we have, a, we have some sort of um, a management system at Queen's or UU that we are at loggerheads with. But we do, we are very depressed that we're going out again on strike to deal with a problem that they know and we know has to be solved in some way. Yeah. I mean, at Slugger, if we have any aim at all as we meander 
along over the decades is to kind of give people space to talk and i'm finding that quite a lot recently is our society has got very shallow and everything is a tweet yeah. and everything there's e- everyone thinks there's easy answers and instant solutions but when you actually scratch the surface you can realize things are a hell of a lot more complicated and getting the kind of messages over to the public that's a difficult part because you know yourself you get two minutes on good morning ulster or whatever and you're it's, trying to explain it's very big difficult concepts, yeah. because it is complicated the only interesting thing on the wider scale at the moment is it's not by chance that so many unions are out at the same time you talked about return to yeah. the 1970s i think what's interesting to say is why have we got that at the moment and i personally think that we are still dealing with the crash of the 90 of 2008 I think the long implications of all of that are still playing out and years of austerity where they've got away with things by giving people rises which are 1% below inflation, but inflation is only 2%, you don't notice it until inflation goes sky high and mortgage interest rates go sky high. And then you realise that we're like, we've all been like frogs being slowly boiled. <laughs> Yeah. Now, as we've kind of highlighted in the discussion, this whole idea of the marketization of everything, the commodification of education, the kind of is continual growth. There's a whole, and it's not just universities. We're seeing it across society, and you kind of wonder people have never been as miserable for all earning wealth. My friend John Barry would say, "You've got really got to raise questions about the growth agenda." Yeah. It really it sounds great, but it's a deeply problematic part of our society that we've got to grow everything all the time. (laughs) Exactly. I'll have to I'll have to get him on for one of the Yeah, he would be, yes. (laughs) Do that. Okay, Dominic, thanks very much for your time. Now, people can follow you on Twitter. I'll put a wee link in the show notes. And thank you for your time. And hopefully that's been a good listen. So thank you for listening to the Slugger Tool podcast. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you very much. Take care, everybody.